Well, good morning, Ten Mile. It is a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Brother Jake asked me to do several things today, actually. Uh, and one is in the morning services, the 8 o'clock and, and then uh, the later service, is to just preach. And, uh, and I'm going to do that. And then this evening, I'll share more about the children's home uh, and the ministry that's going on there and kind of update you and, and those sorts of things. But one of the things that uh, I'm blessed to do and thankful to do, and I'm, I'm here at three and a half months, so understand I'm really new to this whole thing. Uh, but I get to thank you for your partnership with the ministry uh, to the children's home. And last year, your church, 10 Mile, ranked 15th in the state for giving. So we appreciate your partnership. You celebrate that uh, because you are a valuable partner uh, with us. And I'll make that same announcement in the later service as well. But I wanted to, to just publicly thank all of you and, and be a part of that uh, celebration as we work together to advance the cause of Christ. If you have your Bibles though this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, chapter, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 11. And if you are able, in honor of God's word, I invite you to stand together as we read uh, the word of the Lord. This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exiles, the priests, the prophets. And all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. The letter was sent by Elsha, son of Shaphan and Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, had sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The letter stated, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city I have deported you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Father, this is your word to us this morning, and I pray that as we explore these verses your word, that you would open our minds, you'd open our hearts to receive your truth. And Lord, that you would give us understanding 
And Lord, that we can take what we hear from you this morning and apply it to our lives to live as your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I think we could all say we live in a time of uncertainty. Amen? Um, not the first time our world has experienced that, but, but there is a great deal of uncertainty. And, and maybe, uh, for, for some, it's more uncertain than it's ever been before. I remember as a kid growing up in the 70s, I know I don't look it, but I did, uh, but growing up in the 70s, I, I, I remember these things. Soaring inflation, high gas prices, racial tensions, abortion on demand was legalized, the Cold War was at its height, and Russian aggression dominated the world, and China was this mysterious nation off in Asia that we didn't really know a whole lot about. So now, here we are in April of 2023, and what are we talking about? Well, inflation is rising to levels we haven't seen since the 70s. Gas prices are at record highs now, right? Racial tensions still abound. Abortion on demand has been outlawed in some states, but is exploding in states that do not believe in the sanctity of life. Illinois. Russian aggression continues to threaten world peace. China has emerged from the shadows to become a world player in ways that we never could have imagined. In some respects, things really haven't changed much from the 70s. Um, but the one thing I think that has dramatically changed, it's radically different, is that the culture, especially the Western culture, is much more hostile to the gospel in the church today than I've ever witnessed in my life. You know, in the 70s, we could walk down the street and ask somebody where they went to church, and you'd, you'd get a pretty specific answer. And today, if you ask that question, church, what's that? Things have changed, and not for the better in that particular regard. So the question I want us to consider as we look at the word of God this morning from Jeremiah is how should we live as Christians in uncertain times? In other words, how can we thrive, not just survive or just get by, but how can we thrive within clashing cultures? And I believe from the word of God, the prophet Jeremiah, that he offers us some guidance, some encouragement in strength. And so here's the first thing that I want us to think about, that we thrive through serving. We thrive through serving. If you look at some of the things that, beginning in verse 4 in the letter, you know, God says, I, I, I've sent you, I deported you to Babylon. Now, isn't that interesting? Because we often think that you know, Babylon just came in and took those people. In fact, three times they came into Jerusalem and, and took the, uh, the Jews from, from Judah. But God says, I deported you from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. Now think about that just for a moment. What was going on? Why, why would God send his people from the holy city of Jerusalem where the temple had been until it was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, why would he send them from the land that he had promised them that he made covenant to give them? Well, that word covenant is really key to answer that question. Because you go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, we see as Moses is preparing to leave the scene and, and Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land, God made it very clear, if you obey me and you do the things that I've commanded you, if you follow the laws that I've given you, and you don't worship the idols and the gods of the neighbors and the residents of that land, I'll bless you. But if you become like the people around you, the people you're supposed to defeat, and you embrace their gods and their ways, I'll curse you and I'll remove you from the land. It was very clear. And you get to, to the book of Joshua and you read through there and you see Joshua at the, the end. You know, he, he makes a very bold statement there. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to choose the gods of Egypt, the gods of your forefathers, or the gods of your neighbors? Or, as for me and my house, we choose to worship the one true God. And I think that's important. That's the context. Because Israel had broken covenant with God. And that's why he removed them from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's why he allowed the temple where his presence had once dwelt but had left and departed and they didn't even realize it. And he let the city of Jerusalem fall into shambles and ruin. And we know what that looked like because the time we get to the book of Nehemiah and he gets this report on Jerusalem, the temple has been rebuilt, the second temple, but the walls are still down there and rubble and the gates have been burned. And it's said about the people of Jerusalem that they live in shame and disgrace. But that's why they're here. From Jerusalem to Babylon. And think about the culture that, that God moved his people from. He says, you want to be like all these nations around you and you want to worship all these false gods and you want to experience this? Well, I'm going to put you at the heart of it. I'm going to put you in the capital that city, Babylon, that represents all the false gods of the world. Because Babylon was the, the superpower of the time. He said, I'm going to put you right in the midst of it. Now think about that. As God's people, we're called to obey Him. We're called to to follow him. And he puts us sometimes right smack dab in the middle of the darkest places to serve him. How do we respond? How, how do we carry that out? So, he told the people of Israel in Babylon, he said, I want you to thrive. 
Look at the things that they were supposed to do. Picking up in verse 4. And the Lord gives them these instructions. He says, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Listen, multiply there. Do not decrease. Then seek the welfare of the city I have deported you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it's prosperity, you will prosper. What God told the Israelites to do in Babylon was to be visible in the culture. I think he says that to the church today. You want to have influence in the world? You want to see hearts changed and lives changed? The church needs to be visible in the culture. In the world. It's great that we can gather together as the people of God on Sunday and worship and get filled with the word and experience the joy of worshiping together and all those things. But this is really the the, the point where we are confronted with the reality that tomorrow we don't have this. And we're going to be out there. And are we going to take what we get here out there? I mean, that's really what we have to ask ourselves. It's only in heaven do we get to sing every day. And praise the Lord and be with the people of God for eternity. But right now, today, in this moment, we get to serve the Lord every day. But in the darkest places. In the most challenging places. And while they're there, he says, make a home. I don't know about you, when you start thinking about building a a house, that's sort of a permanent sort of thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not like a tent or camper we... Yesterday, we drove around Rin Lake and driving through some of the camp areas. And you know, some of them look like permanent houses, honestly. But, uh, but I know some of them are just there for the weekend or just there for the, for the day or whatever. But God says, I want you to build houses there. Suggests you're going to be there for a while, doesn't it? And you need to be visible in that culture. And he says, I want you to plant gardens. Not my favorite thing to do. But I know a lot of people enjoyed that. I watched my grandparents for years have a garden. The most fascinating thing was to watch that tiller out there as he broke up the ground and got ready to plant the seeds. But plant gardens. I think he means be involved in the economy because what do you do with the excess that you have? Well, you probably take it to the farmer's market or something, right? Sell it. Trade with it. He says, raise your family there. Don't decrease. Well, that's just like a strange word, but don't decrease. Don't stop having kids. Don't stop reproducing. Because if you're following me and you're obeying me and you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, the more children you'll have, you'll influence them and be more light in the culture. 
what we need. And then in verse 7, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have deported you. Some translations use that word as peace. But, but welfare is another word from the Hebrew called shalom. I know sometimes we hear the word welfare and we think, well, this is a government program. That is not what God is talking about here. He says, you seek the welfare, the shalom of Babylon. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, think about this. God is telling his people, I've, I've placed you here in Babylon, the city that destroyed you, the, the, the city that's destroyed the temple, the city that's done all these things to you. And he said, I want you to seek their welfare. I want you to seek what's best for them. Now that is counterintuitive to anything we hear in the world today, isn't it? And yet when we get to the New Testament, we hear Jesus say words like this. Well, what are the greatest commandments, Jesus? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, Jesus didn't just stop there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I also want you to love your enemies See, the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. Because right here, God says to the Israel, I want you to love the Babylonians. I want you to seek their, their welfare. And, and, and this welfare, this, this shalom, this comprehensive peace, if you would, it's more than the absence of just conflict and death, but it talks about community, embracing the well-being and the contentment, the wholeness, the health, the prosperity, the safety, and the rest. It's about order and harmony. It means that all is right with the city. That's what God is telling Israel to do in Babylon. To seek its welfare. It, would it be an amazing thing that in 2023, that God would say to his people, his church, his body, the body of Christ, seek the welfare of Illinois. Oh, just stepped on some toes, didn't I? Because all we can say is I can't wait to get out of Illinois. But you know what? I think Israel, knowing their history, probably grumbled and complained about the same thing in Babylon. They wanted to get out of Babylon. That wasn't home for them. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem. But God says, listen, no. I want you to build a home there. I want you to have your families there. I want you to grow and increase. I want you to plant a garden. I want you to thrive there, and I want you to seek the welfare of Babylon. We do that through serving. How, how can we serve in our communities? How can we do that? 
Well, I expect there's a school teacher or two in here. I expect there's probably a county official or a village official in some of these towns around here. Maybe even state. I don't know. Maybe you're on a township board. Maybe you're on a fire board. Maybe you go work at a hospital. Maybe you drive into Mount Vernon and work at Continental Tire or Walgreens. But I suspect, whatever it may be, maybe you've planted big gardens on 40 acres, I don't know. But whatever it may be, God has placed you here to serve Him and to be His light. Now think about that. Israel wasn't perfect. We know Babylon wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. We know Illinois is not perfect. But yet here we are with an opportunity to be light in the midst of a great darkness. So we thrive through serving. But here's the second thing, and it's at the end of verse 7. Not only do we seek the welfare of Babylon, he said, but pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. (laughs) So here's the second thing. We thrive by praying. We thrive by praying. Pray for the prosperity of Babylon. Now think about that just for a moment. Praying for the prosperity. Lord, are you telling me that the city that destroyed our city, Jerusalem, we're supposed to pray for them to do well? Huh. Listen, this isn't easy to say. And it's a lot harder to live out. Because it's really easy to complain and to be negative and to focus on that. But thankfully, we have a Savior who has given us eternal life and hope. And if we're obedient to Him, we'll be blessed by Him. One of the things that is we think about praying for a hostile culture. Is there are things that we need? We, as, the, as the children's home, one of the things we have to have is favor with the state government. We are licensed by the Department of Children and Family Services. Melinda well knows that. She's been working on applications to get our licenses renewed for the last couple of weeks. But I want you to think about that. We could have, we could have a very hostile relationship with them. Because ideology is not always in agreement with state government. All right, be honest about that. The state knows it and we know it. But even though we, we have opposing ideologies, we still need to have favor with them because they can shut us down if they don't approve our licenses. So we pray to the Lord that he would grant us favor before them. I mean, that's one of the ways you can help us is to pray that we have favor in those regards. But pray for them. 
In the New Testament, Paul tells us to pray for the king. It's our civic duty to pray for the leaders of our land. Because God wants to see his people help improve the culture, not by abandoning it and running away from it, but by engaging it. By being light in darkness. Being salt where there is no salt. Let me pause just here for a moment. I want to go to a different book of the Old Testament. Another prophet starts with a J. His name is Jonah. Because see, Jonah was faced with a very similar choice. God called him, sent him to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were the equivalent of Babylon. Except Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom and had taken their people into exile. And we know the story, I think if we've been in church for a while, we've heard the story of Jonah, how God called him to go to Nineveh, and what did he do? He wanted to sell to Spain, go the opposite direction. At the end of the day, we know that he winds up in Nineveh, he's back there, He's preached the message that God wanted him to preach. And then he goes outside the city on a hillside, kind of overlooking the city to see if judgment's going to come or salvation's going to come. Now, you know what he hoped for? Well, he hoped to see those people saved, right? No, not at all. He desired to see judgment, God's judgment, fall down on Nineveh. Why? Because they were a wicked, vile, cruel people, just like the Babylonians. But you know what God does in His grace and His mercy? The city of Nineveh repented of how dare they? How dare they repent and turn to God for a brief season? And here's Jonah watching down on that. And he's as mad as a hatter. He's angry. How dare God accept their repentance? So there's the word of Jonah. Here's the word of Jeremiah. How are we going to respond to this? Are we going to thrive by serving in a hostile culture? Are we going to thrive by praying for the welfare of a hostile culture? Man, it really comes down to our hearts, doesn't it? It comes down to our individual responses. And you'll say, well, okay. Say I want to pray for the culture. How do I do that? How do I pray for the culture? Well, let me just offer a few thoughts on that. I think we can pray for the economy. We hear that word prosperity, right, to your houses. Pray for the commonwealth of the community. Ask God to bring justice to the poor and prosperity for everyone within the economic systems of the city or the state. Pray for the safety of the city. You know, last week, one of the most disconcerting things that happened in my life 
was when I got this message that Mount Vernon High School was on lockdown because there was an active shooter on campus. And I've got a son there. Now, praise the Lord, it was nothing more than a very serious prank. But you know what that's like internally? <laughs> when you hear about that, pray for the safety of our communities. Pray the citizens will be kept safe from harm and violence. And here's a radical thought. Pray for criminals to be transformed by the love of Christ. Here, here's back to praying for those bad people, right? Those bad seed. I don't know how we always wind up back there praying for sinners. <clears throat> but yet, if I recall, all of us are sinners. All of us deserve God's judgment. And if not for the grace of God, we would what? Be condemned already. And yet we find it very difficult to pray for people separated from God. who need the life transformation that only Jesus can bring. We can pray for that. When I mentioned about praying for the, the government leadership, pray for restoration of virtue in public office. Man. You think about those things. Well, here's the third thing that I want us to consider. And that's we thrive by focusing. We thrive by focusing. Specifically, we thrive by focusing on the mission. One of the things, and Melinda will attest to this, and I've warned them at the children's home, I said, I'm going to talk a lot about mission. Because mission identifies who we are and what we do. Whether it's the, the local church whether it's the children's home or whatever organization it is. Mission identifies who we are and what we do. And God says to Israel, you're my people, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to be light in Babylon. And so to the church, he says, yes, you need to make disciples, and you need to, to do it of all nations and baptize them and teach them everything that I've taught you. Teaching and preaching and caring for people, serving people. That's how the church is supposed to do it. But for us to carry out the mission of God, we have to focus. So the first thing is, is we, we do not need to get distracted by the wrong voices. Do you know what the wrong voices are? Well, that's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? I used to be a big news junkie. I mean, I, I'd come home in, in the evening and I'd turn on, you know, special report and all those things. And two or three hours of news, well, not really news, opinions. <clears throat> opinions that get qualified as truth, all right? But opinions are not necessarily truth. You know, 
Stop clock can be right twice a day. Think about that. Opinions might be right occasionally. And I don't watch the news at all. And here, here's why. Because it influenced what I did here. It influenced the things that I would say from the pulpit. And by the way, I don't need to preach the news to you. I don't need to preach others' opinions. I need you to hear the truth of God's word. Because that's what needs to come from behind our pulpits. But see, we have to focus and don't get distracted by the wrong voices. There's a story of an elderly pastor in a storefront church. It was running about a dozen. His church wasn't really thriving. It wasn't growing. But, but every week, this pastor would take his dog with him to church. And, and the dog would lie down right here. Right here in front. Every week. Right there. But during the, the course of the service... The dog would frequently bark. Now, I don't know what bark is for amen. I don't know that he was amening. But, but those 12 who came on a regular basis, they, they just grew accustomed to the dog there. They grew accustomed to the dog barking. But every now and then, they would get a visitor. And the visitor would be out there, they'd be sitting, and, and they would be listening to the preacher, and all of a sudden, burf, burf, burf. And one day, the visitor came up to the pastor after the service. He, he said, you know, oh, pastor, he, he said, I don't know how to say this, but the dog was a distraction. I had a difficult time worshiping the Lord and, and hearing the, the, the message. Preached. Well, the pastor responded this way. He said, my dog is my best friend. And he stays even if you don't. You see, carrying out the mission of God often requires us to deny ourselves Put to death our preferences in order to do the will of God. Don't get distracted by barking dogs. Right? Don't listen to the wrong voices. That's what was happening there to, to, in this letter. Listen, verse, verse 8 and 9. Israel's got these false prophets among them and they're, they're telling you that what Jeremiah says isn't from the Lord and they're talking about all these dreams and expectations and about how good things are and how wonderful things are. And, you know, if you listen to Jeremiah, it's just going to get worse for you. But they're prophesying falsely is what Jeremiah says. And God says, I have not sent them. I have not sent them. We've got to listen to the right voices. Because barking dogs are a distraction in the church. Because in many instances, they're beloved, they're creatures, they're part of the family, we've grown used to them, they're part of our life, and we don't notice them in their presence until someone suggests getting rid of them. 
And then people get mad and angry and their feelings hurt. That's what was going on with Jeremiah. <laughs> they were trying to discredit him. They were emotional about it. They attacked him. And here's the thing. Deep down, the opponents of Jeremiah, who were trying to discredit him, they knew what he was saying was true. But they were so entrenched with their preferences and their own whatever that they were unwilling to admit that. Because they understood what Jeremiah was telling Israel in exile. God didn't want his people to be distracted by the loudest and most angry voices. He wanted his people in exile to love Babylon, not leave it. And can I say to the church today that God wants his people to love their enemies and to pray for them. He's called us to do that. And here's the third, second thing that we need to do. We need to take a long view of things, picking up there in verse 10. Look, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place, to Jerusalem. Look, if we were Israel and we looked at the, the situation around Israel and Babylon, it looked pretty bleak. We're not Israel, but we are the people of God and we look around us in the state of Illinois and we see things going on and it looks bleak. We seem powerless to change it. And you know what? We are powerless to change it. Because we try to change it under our own power. If we would pray to the Lord and we would seek the Lord and obey the Lord, He has the power to change hearts. We don't. We need to understand that. Nobody has ever been saved because of my preaching. Nobody's ever been saved because of what I've done. God has worked through me to share his word and to serve people. But ultimately the salvation comes because God has done a work in people's lives. He's the one who has the power. But he wants us to be his ambassadors, his, his light. Verse 11, it talks about, I know the plans that I have for your future. Here's the thing about plans. And, and, and here's what we need to hear in that verse. I know the plans, what, that I have for your future. God has already prepared a future for us. And he says, I know the plans that I have. What we have to be careful of, just like we look at Israel in the Old Testament, we have to be careful not to complain about the present. Think about that. Because one of the dangers of grumbling about what God is doing, whatever it is that he's doing, that he's probably not finished doing it. We recently remodeled a room in our our house, actually it was a garage, 
that we remodeled into a room. And it's taken two and a half months. You know, and when, you, when it starts, it's kind of exciting, right? You start, you know, things are changing. And, and then, okay, things start to slow down because now you're getting into this, the fine intricacies of things. And, and you do the, the drywall and the sanding and the dust. And then you come back over and do it again and again. And then you paint and you watch it dry. And you paint because, you know, one coat's not enough. And you're like, oh. But here, what I always, that was my wife, by the way, not me. All right. I'm just kidding. And don't you go to work and tell her that. All right. But listen, what we had to remind ourselves was what was coming. What was at the end. What it was going to look like. Or what we hoped it was going to look like. Better than expectations. God has a plan for our future. And he's not finished on it. Because... A plan by its very nature is something that will not be completed, what? Until the future. (laughs) And then you know what happens once it's completed? It's history. It's history. It's over. It's done with. And there's a new plan in place. And if God has a, a, a plan for a hope and a future... We have to give God enough time to work it out. Because here's what I found about God's timing. He's always on time. He's never too early, and he's never late. He has a plan for us. And so how do we do that? We live by faith. We trust God in his timing because God promised to fulfill his word to his exiles. And I tell you, church, that God is promising to fulfill his word to the church. That he has gone to prepare a place for us. And when the time is right, he will come and take us to be where he is. Amen? Amen. Well, here's the last thing about focus. We have to be intentional about the mission. If we don't focus on the mission, if we don't know what the mission is, and and I hope that as a a local church, you have the Great Commission, obviously, you have Acts 1-8 to guide your, your thought processes, but what's your mission for your local context? What's your mission to to fulfill the Great Commission? Those are the things you, you work out and you think about. But to focus on the mission means that we take we're making conscious choices to complete the mission. I'm not talking about tunnel vision. But we we focus, we we get fixed on vision, and we get on purpose and direction. But what are the circumstances around us? Because sometimes we create missions to respond to needs that aren't really needs. So we have to be intentional about the focus. And that's where praying helps to come back to that. Well, listen, let me wrap it up here. 
God wants us to thrive. He doesn't want us just merely to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to know the real peace of Jesus. Because we will never be able to thrive. We'll never be able to live with hope. We'll never be able to live with with a future in eternity with him apart from him. So I don't know where you stand with God today. What I do know is God has placed us in a culture that's hostile. But I also know that God wants us to thrive in that culture, to be his light, his salt, his ambassadors. Let's do that, church. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, Tough word from Jeremiah to his folks who were living in darkness, who were living in a a sin-stricken culture. Father, how do we we respond to that? Lord, what should we do? And yet I see some things here that you've taught us. And Lord, I pray that we will do that. That we'll serve, we'll pray, we'll focus on your mission. God, we desperately need your help today. Help us be the people that you want us to be. Not who we want to be, but who you want us to be. And speak to those who are separated from you right now. Lord. Call them out of darkness into your light. In Jesus' name.